Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast and become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation and check out recent shows featuring guests sharing stories about growing up in a haunted house that was possessed by an evil presence, a nightmarish encounter with a UFO in the dead of night, and the financial horror stories from those who won the lottery and lived to regret it. Head on over to coasttocoastam.com and sign up for Coast Insider to hear these programs and many more truly thought-provoking shows from coast to coast. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. In the spring of 1939, a top-secret organization was founded in London. Its purpose was to plot the destruction of Hitler's war machine through spectacular acts of sabotage. Giles Milton is the internationally best-selling author of nine works of narrative nonfiction. Most of his work's life is spent in the archives. Diving through these letters and personal papers, where days can pass without unearthing anything of interest. But then when he finds them, look out. He likens this to people who scour beaches with medical detectors. Milton's works of narrative history rely on personal testimonies, diaries, journals, and letters to tell the story of incredible moments of history, recounting through the eyes of those who were there. Stories of ordinary people who found themselves attempting to survive in extreme situations. Here's Giles Milton on Coast to Coast. Giles, great work, by the way. Really look forward to talking to you tonight. Thank, thanks a lot, and uh, great to be on. Thanks for having me. That uh, that clip of Winston Churchill, of course, I was not alive then, but uh, my gosh, what a time for this planet back in 1940. Extraordinary, and, um, and particularly desperate time for my own country, Great Britain, which um, was staring defeat in the face, really. The Nazis, uh, the Hitler's army had swept across uh, Western Europe, it had swept through France, Belgium, the Low Countries, and, you know, we in Britain knew that we were going to be next. And this was the, uh, the really, the bit of history where we were standing alone. Churchill, desperate to bring America into the war as well. He needed America's help and support. But it wasn't sure that he'd get that in 1940. So there we were, wondering just when Hitler was going to invade. Did uh, did Hitler have all this planned, or was he just gobbling up as much as he could? Well, Hitler had a had a plan. That's for sure. His plan was to hit hard and fast with the with the wholly new army he built up. This this mechanized army of tanks and Panzer divisions. So once he'd swept through Western Europe, he had Operation Sea Lion, which was the invasion of Britain. It was all planned out. He had the landing craft, he had the ships, he had the soldiers. And it was just a question. The only thing he needed to do was get a supremacy in the air. He needed to be able to um, fight off the Royal Air Force. And once that was done, the invasion was going to be launched. And Churchill expected it to be launched in the summer of 1940. Do you still have remnants of some of those V-2 bombs that hit London? Are, are there still areas that to show the World War II carnage? Oh, my God. I mean, just looking out my window right now, I live in, in South London. There are big gaps in, you know, we, we live in one of these streets with a long terrace of Victorian houses. Yeah. There are big gaps, or there are modern houses in between them. Every one of those modern houses is where a V-1 or a V-2 rocket hit the street oh and demolished uh, the houses and killed the people. It's, it's extraordinary when you drive around London. You can see still the damage that these did. Why haven't they fixed the damage? Is, are, is it for a reminder, or, no, or no, what's no, they, the they, reason? They've rebuilt houses, but what I'm saying is where, where once there was a row of victims 
Victorian houses. Now there's half a row and then a few modern houses and then a few more Victorian houses. So if, if, you, if you look carefully, you can piece together this sort of historical jigsaw of where the, where the V1 uh, rockets had fallen and exploded. Giles, let's talk about this incredible story that is so secret that you uncovered. How did you get into this in the first place? Well, I knew a little bit about Churchill's idea of fighting a guerrilla war, a wholly new form of dirty warfare against the Nazis. But I just thought, you know, this is such a secret story that probably there's not going to be much in the archives. Um, so I, well, I, I knew there, there was a band of six men who'd been absolutely instrumental in planning this war, this new warfare. And so I tried to track down their families. And, and, and in fact, that's exactly what happened. I found that all, although all six of them had died, um, they, their children were in their 80s, but still alive. And they had the most extraordinary private um, archives of what their uh, fathers had done during the war. Um, one of them, I have to mention, because it was, it was most amusing, I tracked down this very elderly lady. She lived in Cornwall, which is way down in the southwest of England. And she said, um, she said to me on the phone, she said, I have an entire spare bedroom full of all of my, grand my father's documents. You know, you ought to come <laughs> down and, and have a look. There's letters from Churchill and everything there. So really amazing to discover this archive that no one had seen before. I bet you couldn't wait to comb through those files. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, for someone like me who spends, as you said, you know, in your introduction, a lot of time in the archives, something like this is, is like gold dust. It's like digging up a, a huge, great crate of golden coins. You know, it, one, it's wonderful stuff. Now, what were some of the things that this group would put together in terms of the guerrilla warfare? Was it, you know, hit and hit certain spots fast and get out? What did they do? Yeah, well, what Churchill, Churchill's sort of idea was that um, this invincible, this mighty Nazi army, this war machine that Hitler had, um, was very, very, very powerful. And there's no way in 1940 that Britain could attack this army head on. So um, what Churchill realized was a, a, a mechanized army was actually rather vulnerable in certain places. So, for example, if you attacked the soft targets, if you took out a bridge, if you took out fuel dumps, if you took out railways and railway junctions, that actually with very little explosives and very few men, you could actually completely paralyze this incredible mechanized army. So that was the idea. It, it was, I suppose in modern, modern language, you'd say thinking out outside the box. He looked yeah. at a different way of doing something, a more creative way of attacking this army. And that was the idea. It was go for the soft, easy targets, which really could do absolute, could cripple this army of, uh, of Hitler's. The Nazis, of course, had troops in France. I don't think they ever had them in England. They had their V2 bombs, but they never had troops there, did they? They never, never got troops here. Like I said, they had this plan, Operation Sea Lion, which was the invasion of Britain, but they never got round to doing it. So no troops. I mean, there were a few German spies managed to smuggle themselves into this country, um, but they were all captured, um, in fact, turned, then turned against the Nazis. But no, there were never any troops here. And that was, I suppose, the saving factor for, for Britain during the war was the fact that we were an island and we were 
slight, we could re retain those 20 miles of English Channel were very, very important, a bit like a, a medieval castle with a moat around it. That, that was our lifeline, really. And, of course, that's what enabled so many, uh, ultimately, so many American and Canadian troops to come over in the, in the months before D-Day. When I think of the British in war, uh, Giles, I think of, uh, like, the Revolutionary War, where they're all in uniform, they have drummers and music, there's somebody holding the flag, and all these soldiers are marching to war. They're not running and charging people and hiding. They're just all in line with their muskets doing what they do, and they're an easy target to get plucked off. The only way they would win is they'd have to outnumber people. And uh, I would assume that your title, Churchill's Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, is exactly that, because in the old days— the Brits, their idea of war was like some kind of order, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I was in Yorktown not so long ago, and you see pictures of the British Army there. It's just extraordinary. This is very, very different. Now, these, some of these men were not even in uniform. They were going in in disguise. They were being dropped in at night by parachute, um, and they were not fighting like regular soldiers. They were, they were guerrillas. So uh, if they could disguise themselves as locals, they would do. It's just that in their bag, they'd have a whole bunch of explosives to blow up some local factory. So it was, it was a very dangerous, um, it was a, a real classic sort of behind-the-lines type of warfare. They were trained as commandos. They were trained as elite forces. Um, and, yeah, they were, they were there to... Uh, there, were, there were to be no rules, no morality. Uh, everything went out of the window. This was a fight to the death, and they were prepared to use whatever dirty tactics um, they could dream up. That was really Churchill's idea behind it, and he felt that this was the only way, the only possible way, that Britain had a chance of, of not only not being defeated, but ultimately of defeating the Nazis. This must have driven Hitler nuts with this happening. Yeah, Hitler was absolutely furious, particularly when he learned of the, that the British have formed, formed the commandos. The commandos was our sort of incredibly elite forces. And Hitler was, um, he said that there was the, the Geneva Convention, you know, the, the idea that there's rules of war and you treat uh, prisoners of war in a certain standard. Hitler said, well, the fact the British have set up the commandos, this throws all that out of the window. Now, any commando that gets caught by a German is going to be shot on the spot. So this, this really raised the stakes. You could see that you know, any British saboteur or guerrilla being dropped into occupied Europe, they knew that if they were get, would get caught, they were going to lose their life. So it really, really upped the stakes. We are with Giles Milton. Giles, at what point did this group come into existence while the Nazis were fighting uh, in England? Well, the main, the main part of it, which was, which was called the Special Operations Executive, it's known here as SOE, um, was formed by Churchill in the summer of 1940. This is a desperate time. This is some of your um, listeners, I'm sure, will have seen Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk movie. This, we're talking about this point here, where the British have been, the British army's been, been defeated in France, it's been brought back to Britain, and it's looking hopeless. So Churchill sets up this organization called the Special, um, Special Operations Executive. Its task, he says, is to fight um, a thoroughly ungentlemanly war um, against the Nazis. And he, he issued a famous phrase, a three-word phrase, which he said to his um, operatives, 
set Europe ablaze. He wanted them to be dropped into occupied Europe and just do whatever damage they could do. Well, you know, he was thinking uh, in terms of higher technology warfare, wasn't he, with, with, with just people? Yes, and actually this is a, there's another component to the story which is absolutely fascinating, which has never been written about before, which is that while, while this one body was planning and organizing these guerrilla operations, Churchill also set up a very, very secret organization called MD-1, Ministry of Defense 1. Its task was to develop the sort of the new weaponry, the new bespoke uh, explosives and all sorts of dirty warheads that were going to be needed to fight this new war, which, of course, was not just about blowing up bridges and blowing up power plants, but also about assassination, blowing up top Nazis. So they needed bespoke weaponry for this. So he set up this, um, this establishment of just brilliant um, uh, creative scientists, engineers, um, to develop wholly new weapons that had never, ever been used before. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.